Hey everyone, and welcome to a special edition of FTK covering safety on the run. You've got Elise here with you today, and it's great to be here. Now, I'm sorry if you usually listen to FTK for the lols, because (laughs) we are actually covering a pretty serious topic in this episode. And unfortunately, it's probably one that's quite relatable to a lot of you. So many of you out there might have experienced a creepy situation while running before. It might have involved catcalling, it might have involved being followed, or perhaps you even witnessed this happening to someone else and had to step in. But have you ever wondered if the places where we run are working against us? Like, is the way our city is designed making us feel less safe? And is there a reason that some places we run in just feel creepy, you know, like an unlit underpass or a trail that's lined with thick shrub that could hide all sorts of things. Our pace picks up, uh, our heart rate quickens. We're just on high alert. So today we're putting a spin on the safety topic and we're looking at it from two angles. First, we're going to examine the features of our environment that make us feel safe or unsafe and even why certain places seem to attract dodgy behaviour. To help us explore that, we have with us Bianca Elenchevsky, who's a strategic planner and urban designer, and of course, a runner based in Melbourne. Hi, Bianca. Hey, Elise. Great to have you here. And secondly, you've all heard the term safety in numbers. So we'll look into one solution that sprung up to help runners feel safe. And that is our friendly community run groups. So for that, we have Brittany DeGroote, who's the founder of Flow State Run Club, which is all about encouraging femme identifying participation in running. Hi, Britt. Welcome. Hello. So by way of framing things and before we get stuck into the conversation, I do want to throw a couple of uh, things out there right off the bat. So firstly, today we're mostly talking about female runners. Uh, And when I say that, we're including everyone who identifies as female. And this is just because sexual harassment disproportionately affects women in Australia. But we do acknowledge that men can experience sexual harassment or violence or feel unsafe while running as well. With that in mind, uh, some of the topics we cover today also might be a bit triggering for some people. Uh, so I'd encourage you to, to seek help or, or chat with a friend if that's you. And we'll put some links in the show notes to some resources that might be useful. Uh, and finally, this isn't a conversation just for women. We would love everyone to listen to this because Everyone has an important role to play in helping making other runners feel safe because we all love running and we don't want to not run because we're scared. So that's that's where we're at. Okay, so that's definitely enough from me. Let's hear from Bianca and Britt now. Bianca, do you want to tell listeners a bit more about you, why you love to run and also why you're interested in, in talking to me today about this topic? Awesome. Thanks, Elise. So I am an urban designer and have spent a lot of my career thinking about 
designing um, and providing advice to local and state governments to design public spaces, buildings, open spaces, parks, um, and so forth. I am a recreational runner and really did start running mostly as a mode of transport. Um, so I'd run to get from maybe home to the pharmacy um, and the pharmacy to the gym. And as time kind of went on, those distances between destinations got bigger and bigger. And then eventually I ended up running with the run club and entering races and it was all downhill from there. But um, <laughs> funnily enough, Joel asked me to come on board and, and chat about this topic and safety, about safety and running for a couple of reasons. Um, firstly, I think he and others are very aware that I'm very active about this topic and I'm very passionate around advocating for women's safety um, on the streets um, as a real enabler to us being able to participate in running. But secondly, Joel and I had this quite funny encounter about a year ago or so where I was running uh, down Victoria Street in Melbourne just coming off the Arrow River and I had my AirPods in and, um, yeah, just just basically kind of slowing down my run and I came to some lights and this guy popped his head out of the window and was kind of yelling at me. And so instinctively I turned around and gave the guy the double finger. But then when I looked up, I realised it was Joel and he was just saying hi. But I think the funny thing about that was, you know, that women are always on guard and we're always in kind of defensive mode, particularly when we're when we're by ourselves, we're on the street and we're running. Um, and so a funny parallel that it was Joel, who is a just FYI for everyone, a friend, um, wasn't catcalling. Um, <laughs> well, um, yeah, I got called out for yelling at Joel at a cross-country race <laughs> last weekend. So um, <laughs> we all yell at Joel back. every now That's and again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much for that. Um, Britt, do you want to do the same? Like give us a quick intro into you and what your um, what Flow State Run Club's all about and also why you said yes to joining me in the conversation today. Yes. Um, so in the grand scheme of things, I'm pretty new to running. Um, I started uh, during lockdown when everyone else was uh, walking around well I was walking around Princess Park and everybody else was running um so I thought that I would give it a go and look at me now I've got my own run crew and everything and it's all very exciting but um I definitely fell in love with the sport uh because I realized that that was uh, a way for me to experience mindfulness um I'm very anxious person I have trouble with silence and and stillness and stuff so Meditation was never really good for me, but um, running allows me to sort of like lock into that mindful state and like really clear my mind and just, I guess, be present um, without really having to like concentrate and feel like I'm not doing it right or anything like that. Like I know that that's how I'm going to get there. Um, so, yeah, I definitely owe the sport a lot. It's got me through some um, very difficult times that have come about in the last few years, but also um, brings me like a big sense of joy you know like sometimes it's nice to just go out and be on your own and um just with your own thoughts and stuff um flow state sort of came about uh from my frustration with run crews that say that everyone is welcome and you don't need a pace but you do and the pace is 445 and <laughs> <laughs> oh and, 
ouch, no, but like, <laughs> you know, there's nothing, there's no worse feeling than being right at the back of the pack and you're so gassed and everybody's having a lovely time. And then you're like, I'm never, ever going to go back here again. So um, from having experienced that myself, uh, I wanted to create a space where like women in particular feel like we're just going for a run. Like we run to time. So 30 minutes, we get to where we get to. Like it depends on who rocks up and what the pace is. Like, you know, we're, we're nobody's left behind. So we're definitely going to like catering to every pace group. We run in a group. Sometimes it's 5Ks, sometimes it's 4.6Ks. It could, it could be anything. And um, just like connecting with the run rather than like concentrating so much on what's on your watch. And, yeah, I think the reason that I said yes to the podcast as well is just from uh, similar to everyone probably, like, having these experiences myself and hearing about them a lot um, as, you know, the leader of an all-fem run group probably could ask someone every week and they would have a story to tell, which is pretty sad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They're all too common, unfortunately, uh, but thanks so much for sharing that, Brit. And, you know, great to hear like the mindful element to running that I think so much of so many of us enjoy as well. And part of that is just getting out on a run by yourself. And so you you just want to feel safe doing that. Um, we might dive into some uh, thoughts on public spaces now. Uh, so let's start with the environment that we run in. Um, I'm assuming most of our listeners will live in urban environments or cities. And so we all seek out parks and trails uh, for our running. Bianca, what is it about certain places that either makes them feel safe to run in or on um, on the other side of the fence, not so safe? That's a really good question, Elise. And I think also can be perceived as a really loaded question because safety probably means a few different things for a few different people and and can be highly subjective. Um, I think there's a real misunderstanding that safety is somewhat defined as being linked to lighting or to time of the day, but there is really um, growing evidence to support the notion that it is more than that uh, and that our built environment, so our streets, our buildings, how they're designed and activated has a really big role to play um, as well. Um, recently, just before we we started recording, Elise and I were talking about the fact that I've just seen the Barbie movie. And for those at home who have seen it, you'll all know that we don't live in Barbie land. So in the Barbie movie, Barbie land is defined as um, this world that's, you know, so um, built for women and, and for all of our needs. But the real world um, that we live in is quite not the same. Um, but one really... Um, interesting kind of uh, way of thinking about what makes a place safe to run in or safe to be in comes from this sociologist that we in urban design often refer to. Her name is Jane Jacobs. And in the 50s and 60s, she was a real big advocate for what she calls um, eyes on the street. So it's a a term that she coined. And by eyes on the street, what she meant is that um, when there are more people around us serving as a witness, um, often others Um, a a deterrent to kind of um, participate in any crime. So 
Um, simply, simply put, it's kind of that the more people we have around us, um, the more diverse land uses, whether that's retail tendencies or balconies or places overlooking spaces, um, we, we feel a sense of safety because there's multiple eyes on us and a sense of um, eyes on, on everything else as well. So eyes on the street is, is typically a way of measuring um, when a place is actually or, or perceived to be safe. Um, that's really interesting, Bianca. Like, so one of the reasons I did want to talk about this as well, and, you know, I think everyone's had some nasty maybe experiences out there running, mm-hmm. um, but one that's that was quite recent for me was in Bali at the end of mm. last year um, in a place where I'd, I'd been to this place like six times or something. It was a very familiar mm. place to me and went for a run on a Sunday morning at 7am and there weren't many people around, so there weren't mm. many eyes on the street. Um, yeah. And this uh, a man on a, a motorbike actually flashed me and followed me Um oh which was horrible, but I remember making a split-second decision in my mind just knowing the makeup of the street that was lying ahead, that there were no shops up there, there was no activity up there. I knew it was highly unlikely there would be other people in that area, so I just made a quick decision to turn around and sprint in the other direction to where I knew there were people and where I knew Mm. I could find someone to to seek refuge with I suppose yeah yeah and it kind of comes back to what Britt was saying about safety in numbers with flow state or with any run club is that sometimes that's what it does take for women to to feel safe in environments that are so far out of our control um and that that might be one of the safer ways to go about it particularly if we're running after work hours when it's really dark or or before work when it's really dark um Safety in numbers is, is often the one reliable thing that we can do as women, particularly if, you know, we're a little worried to, to be doing that by ourselves. Yeah, great point. You also shared with me a stress map that was put together by CrowdSpot and Monash University's XYX Lab. Um, so for everyone listening, this this is basically like this virtual map of Melbourne's metro area. And women and gender diverse people have plotted out how safe or unsafe they've felt in certain parts of the city. Um, So they're basically like self-reporting on the map where they might have experienced a stressful situation. Um, And it's, it's quite scary to see that there's a lot of clusters of unsafe labels along places where many Melbourneites would love to run, basically. Um, so Princess Park, Royal Park, Capital City Trail, Mooney Ponds Creek, Darabin Creek. Um, like, Bianca, I'm curious, do any of these places have any common sort of characteristics that you can see that might make them feel less safe? Yeah, absolutely. I think all of these spaces have a lot of thing, things in common. And as you pointed out, you know, Mooney Ponds Creek, the Capital City Trail, Princess Park, Maribyrnong River are all kind of uh, vast spaces. They're usually low-lying as well, so they 
sometimes are adjacent to water bodies, which are typically lower down, so they're not kind of at footpath level. Um, there are often lots of trees and shrubs. Um, and in often some, sometimes of the day, you know, there's not really many other people around as well. And so, I mean, it's really no surprise to anyone when you look at the map and you start to see the clusters um, that are marked as unsafe um, amongst many of our running corridors. And that's really sad, not only for runners, but for people that are walking their dogs or people that are running, um, uh, sorry, pardon me, walking. Um, but yeah, there are some kind of uh, similarities between these spaces, as I touched on the kind of trees being more low lying, really a, a small amounts of passive surveillance. So they're areas in which you're not getting shops um, or kind of nearby train stations or big clusters of people. So that's where this kind of eyes on the street term comes back again because, you know, there aren't really as many eyes on us and probably is a, a great spot for a perpetrator to do something unwanted or, or, or yell or, or, you know, um, just partake in antisocial behaviour really. Um, the the data set on CrowdSpot, so you can, you can Google this and we can put some info in the show notes, but... Um, around 8% of participants that have put in the data and input data uh, are runners and have identified as people running in these spaces as well. So the reported antisocial behaviour is targeted towards runners. Um, and so this is about 200 runners, I think, that have reported um, unsafe behaviour. And what is really sad about the data is that many of the runners reported that after an incident occurred to them in these public spaces, 12% of these women didn't go back to the location that the incident occurred. So they've been completely deterred from running in that location or, or going back there to hang out with friends or whatever. So they're, they're staying away. Um, and additionally, 40% of those women have said that if they were to go back, they would only go back with others. So the really sad thing about this is that our awful experiences that we're having out in the public realm and in parks and on the street are actually impacting our long-term behaviour which is awful. Um, so, yeah, a, a huge impact on, on the way we're living as women, which is sad. Yeah, that's terrible. And especially when it just is is impacting on your everyday routine. Like mm. if I just draw on that quick example I gave before, like you, for me that week I just ran on a treadmill for the rest of the week because yeah. I didn't want to go out again um yeah but then when I left that area I was able to put that experience in a box and not think mm -hmm. about it and mm -hmm. it, it didn't impact my regular run routes if that makes sense but mm -hmm. if that was the place that I ran every day that might deter me from from going outside and doing the same thing that I've been used to doing you know every day for the last few years and and that's just really sad I think that's the that's the biggest emotion that that came from me in that situation was feeling angry that someone had stopped me from doing the thing that makes me feel free. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And there's that that's happening to you and then there's the 200 women that, that have reported it and then there I'm sure there are thousands of others that it goes unreported and it goes undocumented and it's just people that aren't participating in, in running because they've had awful experiences somewhere and, and they're deterred and there are even kind of long-term health impl implications of, of this as well so it's kind of like if if someone's deterred from running because of um kind of sexual harassment or street harassment 
what does that mean for their engagement in sport or exercise or, you know, even walking down the track? What long-term health implications does that have over the years that accumulate? Um, so it's, yeah, awful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just while we're still on this topic of, of space, as a urban designer yourself, um, <laughs> would you see, you know, any recommendations that could be made to councils or decision makers that could make some of those areas like uh, Princess Park or any any of the areas we've we've spoken about safe mm. for runners? I think it's really simplistic to put the onus on maybe design alone to yeah. change what is a <laughs> your, cultural... It's up to you, Bianca, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what is like a, a cultural and a social behaviour that, yeah, it, it's, it's complex. I think we all know that. Um, uh, I have a, a couple of thoughts about what we can do. I think one of the first things is about the notion of co-designing spaces. So historically industries such as you know, engineering, architecture, landscape architecture and so forth were very and to somewhat, to some extent still today are very male-dominated industries and it's not overly uncommon that even I'm in a room filled with entirely men, which is fine, but I think uh, what I mean by this is that we need to start co-designing our spaces with girls and women and gender-diverse people and people in cold communities and people with disabilities because our spaces need to reflect the people that are using them um, uh, and unfortunately, this, this hasn't been the case historically. Um, and, and one of the key things I've been thinking about as we move, as we have been talking uh, about this podcast, is about what has instigated change in the past. So what historical events have brought on change in our public spaces? And um, uh, one of the things I've been thinking about is... A couple of years ago, um, there was a case of Eurydice Dixon in Melbourne who was um, murdered in Royal Park and there was Jill Maher who was walking home late on Sydney Road and then more recently Eliza Howard who was a runner in the US who was abducted about 4.30 in the morning and, um, and yeah, awful things happening to these women. But um, often what it seems like is it takes a really high-profile public tabloid media-loving act of violence to propel councils and governments to actually start to do things differently and it takes something really awful to spur cities into taking action and to start listening to the voices of girls and women and unfortunately in the past like that's the ship has sailed like women are getting um, killed um, but are also um, dealing with harassment on a, on a daily basis as well. So while I wish design alone could change what I think is a societal issue and a, um, and a and maybe even a feminist issue, I think it really comes down to ensuring that women and girls and, and others are, are co-designing spaces so that they are designed for us. Effectively, sorry if that was really deep. No, oh. no, no, no. It's <laughs> Look, this is such a complex uh, topic and, no, I think you touched on some really important points there too. Like the, I guess the the other thing that's sort of sprung up from those horrific, horrific um, events and, you know, cases that we've seen in the media in the last few mm. years have just been 
the sort of groundswell of support from the local community and local runners as well wanting to take back spaces from Mm -hmm. those sort of evil acts that have happened like the sort of taking back the Mary Creek um and that sort of thing so that Mm. that's been really beautiful Britt did you want to jump in and and speak to any of that yeah I do um funny that you mentioned the Mary Creek because uh that's where I've had most of my run-ins um it's as Bianca said like a low-lying area beautiful to run along the creek um but it's very out of the way of everybody's eyes um but my gripe with everything is I just feel like it's all very flash in the pan like so there was an incident that got reported to the police maybe like six months ago on the Mary Creek Trail it was, uh, I saw it in like an all-women's uh, run group that um, ping every time there's something bad that happens on Mary Creek and avoid it, which is terrible that that's a Facebook group, but here we are. And um, it got a lot of traction to the point where the ABC News picked it up and Vic Pohl said that they had patrols that they send out on the Mary Creek Trail, which is, I don't know if I can swear, a lie. <laughs> bullshit (laughs) there you go she's done it. it's bullshit they (laughs) I have I run along there I used to run along there a lot and I have never ever ever seen a police officer and that's why everybody started commenting on this post because the ABC said oh we reached out to Rick Pohl for like a comment and this is what they said and it got to the point where uh they'd turn the comments off because everyone was like oh excuse me um we would like to know when the police are there so that's when we can go there like you know people say that they do are doing something but they're just not like Mm. let's call a spade a spade (laughs) like yeah or have you seen Brit then that uh a lot of the like femme identifying uh, people coming to your run club are those who are, you know, wanting that safety in numbers aspect or have had experiences similar to the ones that you, you just spoke about? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's inherent in any group of female runners that there will be, I would say, 80 to 90% of them have had um, experiences where they're feeling unsafe on their runs. Um, and like whether it's just something like being beeped at or yelled at at a car or being stalked or um, I've myself and I know maybe five or six others that have been uh, had a man expose themselves um, on the Mary Creek Trail um, and it just yeah it's it's nice to to all get together and run together and feel safe and stuff but it's um sad when the conversation um steers towards these sorts of things happening but in the at, in the same breath it's also like really nice to be able to have a conversation with people and I, I feel like a lot of women have a lot of tips on how we can feel safe but like you know this isn't a, a women problem but it is nice to feel the camaraderie and that we're all out there to look after each other in the community. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Britt, what are some of the other like positive reasons that 
that people have for joining Flow State Run Club? Um, hopefully many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I am very proud of um, our community in the sense that it is not about the run. Like it's, it, I really, my only goal was to like fully shake off that numbers game, the pace game, all of that. Like the one of the comments we get a lot from new people is that like they don't feel like they went for a run, which is like that's the ultimate goal is to make it sure that people are like they're forgetting that they're running. They're in that full flow state space, which is why it's called that. It's like a flow state is when you're so immersed in what you're doing that you don't realize that time's passing or that you're running or doing anything like that. And so we will go for our 30 minutes, we come back and then we'll sit down for just as long and have a conversation with each other. And, you know, all of the chats can range from like, <laughs> who was the most hungover on the weekend to like, you know, <laughs> women's safety. We have like a few like really incredible um, people that work in women's health. And then there's researchers that work in women's physiology. And so there's all these really interesting people. So we get like a chance to, I guess, really learn from each other as well. And yeah, I think, you know, if you're in, interested in a, a run club that is less of a run club than some of the others, like not taking away anything from our running, we're all very good at running. Um, but it's not really about that. And I hope that it never turns into that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, Bianca, just out of curiosity, do you run with a group? I do, and I've run with Flow State before, and I can completely attest to everything Brit's saying. So she's not lying about that. Um, but um, I do. I run with Hunter Athletics. Um Again, I, I find myself sometimes running with um, the girls or people that are, you know, running at a similar pace um, as me. And, and that's, yeah, that's just because it's, they're running at the same pace as me. So I, you know, run with a particular group of people. But, I mean, in terms of, in terms of flow state, I think there is a sense of uh, everyone's kind of running for a community. They're not so much running to, you know, run a PB every second weekend or, you know, it's it's it comes with kind of a different purpose. And I think that's the good thing about having multiple run clubs in Melbourne is that each of them do come with different purposes and different goals. Um, and geographically they're in really different areas as well. So that probably helps a lot of people have more access to run clubs. Um, so, Britt, you guys are in Albert Park, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but there are lots all around um, Victoria as well so that helps just uh, getting you know a wider catchment of people to participate which I think is really good and that's the strength of run clubs yeah definitely do you run with a run club Elise have you ever run with a run club um yeah there are a couple of groups down my way as well um there's the river runners in Geelong and the surf coast track club and I mean group runs just make it so much more fun um, mm. and and if you're out there and it's dark and you've got a head torch on and you've got someone like waiting for you to be there at 6 a.m I'm just so much more compelled to get out the door <laughs> yeah 
Absolutely. I did this park run a couple of years ago in Laylor, which is really far away from where I live. I live in the city. And I went out in Laylor and there's this run club out in Laylor. Shout out to anyone that runs with Laylor Run Club. They are the most passionate group, the most friendly group of um, keen runners out in the north side. But it's incredible whenever you travel to like, an, you know, interstate run or, you know, a, a regional run, there's just, there's a community wherever you go. And so highly encourage people that might, you know, feel less comfortable running out in the world or late at nights or early in mornings to see what's happening in your local area in terms of clubs because I'm sure there's one out there for you. A hundred percent. Yeah, could not agree more with that. Um, so we might move to a few tips and tricks, which is this is a very difficult thing to talk about but because basically we don't want to sit here on this podcast and say, hey, we're placing the responsibility on you out there to take, you know, full ownership of your own safety, which means not doing this and not doing that and doing this and doing that. Because I don't, I don't think that's also fair. Like it, it, it should be the people, the creepy like sickos who changed their behavior. Um, but that said, I do know in myself, there are certain things that I do differently sometimes when I'm not feeling super comfortable about running by myself um and so I thought it might be interesting to talk about that with with both of you as well um Britt you mentioned just before that you know some of the women in your group have tips and tricks that they talk about um on this sort of topic do you want to share any of those yeah definitely um, and you're absolutely right. Like this isn't a women's problem, and I love that you called them creeps and sickos. Yes, <laughs> they so are because <laughs> they really are. It's just like disturbing behaviour, which um, yeah shouldn't be a part of our society. But again, here we are. Um, I think one of the big ones is um, your headphones, having them in, but having it so you can still hear is really important. I know that um, I have extremely noise cancelling headphones and sometimes when I'm on the phone, I'm actually screaming because I can't hear how loud I'm talking. So, um, but they also have a hear through function, which I believe is a safety function um, for running, mostly so you can hear cars, but what else you can hear is footsteps or voices. Um, so uh, just a, a level of awareness I mean, I hate to be the time of day person, but like a lot of uh, the feedback is that we get um, people are more comfortable running when it's light um, if they're by themselves. Um, and then there's also, I don't know, I, I don't like the deviating your route, but it, it is definitely um, something that can make you feel a lot better when you are out there, like you were saying at the start, Elise, um, how you made a quick decision to to take a sharp turn and, and go back the other way. Like I've done that as well. Um, I had a man following me in a car that I'd upset him because I he yelled at me and I gave him the finger and then he started yelling obscenities at me and slowed down blocking crap traffic to follow oh. me along the road. So I made a decision to turn right from where I was 
And so he would have had to cross traffic to be able to get to me. So, like, at the very least, if he decided to follow me, he would have been significantly slowed down because he would have had to, like, stop and wait to turn. But I wasn't planning to go that way. But sometimes that's what you can do. And so I think that another thing is just to know the area as well. If you know that there's, like, you know, a a busy area coming up or you know where there's people around or you know uh, the time of day where the most people are out walking their dogs or whoever's around um, is really helpful to making you feel safe. And like you said, the responsibility is not on yourself, but it is still nice to feel safe. And so doing some of these things can help you, um, I guess, mitigate some of that unsafe feeling. Yeah, thanks for those. And it's also about your own enjoyment on the run as well, because if you're kind of low level stressed the whole time that someone's going to jump out of the bushes, you might not enjoy your run very much. Um, So it's just about like what is going to help you get the best out of that 45 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is that you're out for. Mm. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, how are you going to best enjoy your run without having to look over your shoulder every five seconds because you're in unfamiliar territory and you're feeling a little bit cagey? Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Bianca? Are there any things you do, like, either subconsciously or consciously to to Um, feel better? I think with what Britt said about, you know, running in the day, that's also a privilege that only some of us, some people have. Some people mm. can't run in the day because of work. You know, they might work in an office from like eight to six. And so you can already see how that starts to reduce who can participate because of that feeling of not safety. But in terms of what I do for DIY safety, I run in the day. I think that's probably the number one thing. Um, I I don't really run in numbers too much anymore because I'm not running as frequently. So Uh, It's mostly about daylight, running in familiar places. Um, And I plan my routes before I go as well. So I know from my house around Princess Park and back is 7K. I know that if I do Princess Park twice, it's 10. So I can kind of like map it out in my head so that I can just like eliminate as much potential stress as possible. Um, But, yeah, I'd probably echo um, what Britt said. But um, also just like to reiterate, yeah, run clubs have a really good place for this DIY safety. Yeah, yeah. Or um, a lot of like if, you know, the daylight being a privileged thing, I think that's a really important point too. And lots of employers now are being a bit more flexible with that stuff and, you know, letting people go out at, at lunchtime or, or that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, but, but back to the run clubs, I think, and the broader running community, I feel like there's a lot of things that, just our friends or even like male runners we run with too can be aware of or or um, ways in which they can support female runners. Um, do you have any ideas around that? Maybe start with Bianca? Yeah, I mean, invite women, women to your long runs. Yeah. <laughs> invite them, bring them along because chances are they, some of them don't have anyone to run with. Um, um call out behavior if you see it uh if you hear some of your men friends talking about women in unsavory ways call it out make a public 
I think that everyone has a responsibility to play women and men in calling out awful behaviour. Um, and, you know, not to say that awful behaviour doesn't happen, uh, you know, in the running community. I'm sure it, it has and it, it does. But, um, yeah, I think everyone has a an individual role to play. Britt, do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I think just like a... Um, like an awareness of um, privilege is really important for male runners. Like I think that it, and for some reason people get upset when you say that you have your privilege, but like everyone has privilege. You know, I'm a Caucasian woman and that comes with privilege. Like that's just the way of the world. Like whether it, it was something that you gained from like working or something that you're just born with, like that's the reality of it. And I think that um, once men start to have a bit more awareness of like how lucky they are to be able to go out whenever they want for the most part and to to feel safe and not having to worry about any of these things, they can have their music turned up loud and, you know, don't put the keys through the fingers when they're walking back to the car and all that sort of stuff. Like it, it's just um, I think with awareness comes a lot of more empathy and then from there that's when we're starting to, I guess, really create some of the change that we're looking for here. I think that, yeah, I think it's all about understanding and education and I think that to everybody just needs to drop the like, well, it's not my fault that you're experiencing these things and I'm not like this and la 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 I've never seen it like you know you have to believe people and you have to understand what they're saying and then like just take it at face value I think that that so many times women are questioned about questioned relentlessly about experiences that they've had and forced to validate them and stuff whereas like you should just be saying that's horrible that that happened to you if I saw that sort of behavior in the future I would definitely call it out kind of thing. Yeah. I think the awareness piece is really important as well, like um, just to also be aware maybe even of how your presence could make someone else feel, um, even though you know that you're a non-threatening person. But let's just picture a context where it's it's a dark night. I know we're going back to the light thing, but bear with me. Um, you know, it's raining. There's a man with a hoodie on because it's raining and he's walking a few steps behind a woman just because he happens to be going in the same direction as her. But just think about what might be going through that woman's mind at that moment and maybe like cross the street or walk a little bit further away or just like help her to understand that you are not a threat and help her make feel a little bit more comfortable um, in that situation. So just like little things like that, I think awareness really does go a long way. Yeah, even like, you know, a nod or a smile or something, like yeah. it definitely goes a long way. Like I hate it when you smile at another runner and they don't smile back. You know, like, or, <laughs> I know I just look stupid. <laughs> I hate that too, Britt. And especially down here, like on the surf coast as well, you know, there's not, you don't see heaps of people on the trails. So if someone blanks you, it's just really humiliating. <laughs> it hurts so much more. It hurts. Yeah, it really hurts. <laughs> um, 
I think we're we're getting to the end here probably, but I just wanted to open it up and see if there's anything else either of you want to throw out there or add that we haven't touched on today. Britt, do you have anything? I think you, you've been very thorough. I think that like, like you said at the start, we just want to reiterate that this isn't like, you know, putting the onus on one group or another. It's a, it's an awareness piece. It's an education piece. And um, I'm sure all three of us would be happy to have any conversations if people have listened and want to follow up and chat about it and stuff. But um, feminism and women's safety isn't just for women. It's for everybody. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably it. Come run the flow state. I like yeah. that, Britt. That's a good way to end. Me too. <laughs> that was beautifully said. Um, so if people do want to find either of you on the socials or the internets, uh, where should they do that? Ooh, plugs. Well, I don't know why anyone would want to find me, but you can find me across all of the social medias. You can just... <laughs> LinkedIn, Instagram, I'm there. Uh, I don't have any friends on Strava, so I'm probably no use to the runners listening right now. No, um, Britt, where can we find you? Uh, you can find, well, you can follow the Flow State Instagram, which is Flow State RC. I think there's some underscores in there. Can I send it to you, Elise, and you can? Yeah, you can. <laughs> put it in, in the show notes so people don't have to. <laughs> pause on their run and write it down in their notes section on their phone yeah yeah I mean I always stop on my run to write things down in notes sections on my phone because that's when I have my best ideas but Ooh, I love um, that it is a hassle You're totally in the flow state that's it that's it thoughts so many thoughts all right, team. Well, thank you so much for being here today and I wish you all the best on your next run and I hope we get to go for a run together at some point in the near future. Love it. Me too. Thanks, Elise. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Elise.